the things that truly matter to you need to matter and you need to prove that they matter. Chuck, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was, I'm so excited to be on the show. I want you to tell us a little bit about your story. Who are you and how did you get to be here today? Ooh, uh, well, I'm Chuck Pino. I'm a freelance writer and editor, mostly for comics, but I'm just starting to get into uh, audio dramas and novels and really whatever else I can work on. How I got here today, what a long and winding road that is. I've loved writing pretty much my entire life. So um, I remember, I mean, even even as a youth, like in grade four, five, six, that kind of thing, I was attempting to write uh, my own novels and stories and stuff, which of course they never made it all the way, but I still made it. I remember finishing one at like 30 pages or something. And at that age, that's huge. But um I played a lot of uh, like Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of stuff. And I ended up joining an online back in like 1998. I, I joined an online role playing game that was play by post. And so by doing that, I was able to write a character and sort of inhabit that character. And you would write and then someone else like a moderator or whatever would come in and write. And it was a lot of back and forth world building, character building, story building, all that kind of stuff. And there I met my wife and we fell in love and we created our own world and we ended up creating our own play by post game. And so writing has been an active part of my life ever since then. And so even if I wasn't actively trying to create scripts or do or do stories or other stuff, I still always had that sort of thing in my life. And back in 2015, the cable man shows up at my house when I move and he sees all the art on my wall. I freshly put up all of my women of the X-Men and all this really cool stuff, you know, Greg Horn pictures and such. And he's just like, oh, dude, so you're a comic guy. And I'm like, yeah, I, I love comics, man. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm actually trying to make my own comic. And he started pitching me his book. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I've actually written my own, but I, I never did anything with it. It's just a script out there in someone's computer or something. And so he's like, oh, so you're a writer. And we had this back and forth. And eventually he kind of brought me into his world and we hung out and got together because I'm in the middle of Texas. I'm almost 40 at that time. And there's not a lot of people my age who were into that kind of stuff. So we got into that and we actually started making his comic and it, uh, we took it to Kickstarter and it funded, uh, it funded on the second time. The first time it brutally failed. And when it failed, I realized I don't have a name. I'm a nobody and you need a name to sell anyone, anything. So I went out there on, into Facebook land, started um, pushing and, and, and learning and meeting people and networking. One of the guys out there who is now a very good buddy of mine, Rob Anderson, he at one point said, I'm looking for an editor. I want to give somebody a shot. So if anyone is willing to do some work for free, let me know. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. And he said, okay, but you're not going to get paid anything. And I said, I don't care. I need a name. I want to be in the business. Let's do this. And I did it. And I took to editing really quick. In fact, I've worked on pretty much everything he's brought out since then. And then obviously worked on an awful lot more. So that got me into the world so that even when the original thing that brought me in, that ended up going very poorly and it didn't ever turn into anything. I still, by that point was like, I'm here. I love what I'm doing. I love editing. Now I want to write and get my own stuff out there. And so I just kept pushing. And of course, after time, I met tons of great people such as yourself. And that's the long winding story of how I got here. When did you feel that you made the jump from amateur to doing it professionally? 
Ooh, I mean, you you want to say that it's like your first. I, I think it for most of us, it's when we hold that first book with our credit, with our name on it. That that was the moment where you can go, ooh, I'm professional. And I think that was also the moment where I was like, dude, you're sold. Like you're you're not getting out of this easily because I was addicted. I wanted to have my name on as many books as I possibly could. I wanted to to touch and be a part of as many projects as possible. So I think that's one step, but certainly there's lots, you know, when you do your first show and you're behind the table, you know, all, all those kinds of things are major steps. The first time you have your name on a professional publishing company on, on one of their books or something like all of those are steps. So I think you're always finding those things. I had a, a conversation with a, a mastermind group that I'm in, a bunch of other creators, and we were talking and uh, someone brought up, you know, it's an ongoing process. Everybody's like, hey, we're going for the finish line, but there is no real finish line, but there are milestones along the way. I, I couldn't agree more. And it, it, it's so true. And I feel like, you know, you meet a lot of these newer guys who come in and they're like, man, my aim is is Marvel. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I would love to work with Marvel and DC and, and all these great companies, but that can't be your finish line man because then what you become is at some point you become a has-been because you got there and then very rarely does anyone stay there so you know you have to have this goal that can uh, self-sustain you that can allow you to continue moving on and be happy with you so for me it's always the goal for the longest time because i recognize that fairly fairly early is I just want to be able to support myself and hopefully my family on my dream and on what I'm doing. And so whether it's Marvel, DC, or just self-publishing, you know, whichever, I don't care. I just want to be out there doing my, doing the business and being a part of it in any and every way I possibly can be. I want to talk a little bit about your work that you put out there. Tell us about Essence House. Essence House is a sci-fi audio drama about a family who finds out that their ancestral home that was devastated some 25 years ago holds secrets that they had absolutely no idea about in their youth. And so now, in order to find out about what has happened to them and the roots of their family, they end up getting spun on this incredibly magical journey. Essence House is funny because in 2018, Eric Cockrell, who has created such great things as Blister and Dulce, I was his editor on Dulce. And he came to me in 2018 and he said, hey, man, I want to do NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And I would love it if you and I created this book together. I was like, okay. He's like, I already have this really cool time travel idea. Like, why don't we do this? And I was like, oh, yeah. All right. Cool. So we uh, we worked on that. And it we we failed spectacularly. Like, I think I literally got paragraphs done. And I think he got pages. I don't even think he got a chapter done. And it just didn't happen. And then when it came into 2019, we were moving towards there. And he's like, do you want to try again? Because we were both very excited about the story. Just something about it didn't happen. And I said, no, I don't, I don't think we're meant to do it. And we're both way too busy to do it like that. That doesn't make any sense for us to just try to write a novel in a month. Neither of us have the time for that. We both have families and, 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 um, jobs and lives. We can't do that. And he's like, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And so we started talking because we still wanted to do the project. And we both came up with the idea. What if we do like one of the old radio stories where you, you know, and, and which we later found out to be audio dramas as they're called. And we loved the idea of doing something like the 1940s, like shadow or something, but we wanted it to be sequential. We wanted it to be an, uh, an ongoing story, so to speak. And so 
as we started doing that and started building up that world and that idea and that story and such, um, my idea was, uh, dude, I've always wanted to be a novelist. And he already had a novel on his table. So I said, what if we built this up so that when we're done, say, a certain number of seasons, we can have a fairly hard finish so that we can have a novel of it? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good idea. So that's what we've done. We've finished season one already. We're more than halfway through season two. And at the end of the season, when it finishes, that will have a good hard ending that we are now about to kickstart into a novel. After Essence House, you went on to work on your comic book, Bilal, which is live now on Kickstarter through November 13th. Talk to us about Bilal. Bilal is about the original creator of Hell and him wanting to take back his powers and his domain from Lucifer and the Four Horsemen. So. We're now in issue two, and in this issue, he has to go up against not one, but two of the horsemen in the forms of pestilence and famine, so that, again, he could try to take those powers back and get himself ready for the big fight with Lucifer. What was the original inspiration for this? Uh, So this is a funny one. Uh, This is freelance work at its best. Basically, Sean was my anchor for my my story, Welcome to the Void. And he came to me and he said, man, I really like your work and I'm enjoying working on your book. I have this cool story and I want to throw it by you and see what you think. And I was like, okay. And he has this deep kind of reverie and love for the hellscapes and all the dark stuff, which is not necessarily my forte and such. So he kind of came to me with this story and he really loved the history and everything. And I was like, that's a cool idea. And the idea of having like an underdog hell story was really an interesting twist. And of course, realizing that Lucifer's not the creator of the underworld, again, also really neat. And I loved kind of the, the touchstones to history and whatnot. And so I immediately sent him a pitch and I pitched him the miniseries as I saw it. And I think I, for all along, I had it as about four or five issues and it ended up being four. And um, yeah, man, we're just, I was so excited by it and I thought it was so cool. And then when I finally started writing the script, I realized, you know what? Hell's, hell's been done to death. And um, it usually ends up looking and feeling the same, a lot of these hell stories. So I thought, instead, why don't we make it funny? Why don't we make it absurd? Because really, the idea of absolute evil in my mind is absurd. So why don't we make it funny and why don't we almost pitch it and send it more like it's an adult swim cartoon? And so I started writing it that way and showing it to him that way. And Sean, because we both have very twisted senses of humor, he loved it and he gladly built upon that. And we've both worked very hard on it ever since. It's it's a love of mine. I'm having so much fun with that world. And of course, uh, Sean Barber, he was the uh, co-creator who approached you and he does the inking on it? Yeah, he does. Um, how did you find the rest of the art team? Uh, you know, that was, it was actually pretty easy because we don't have a colorist. It's black and white. So really it was just about finding a, a pencil that we could be excited about. And I had worked with Greg Warren on several things. He had worked on my next issue of welcome to the void, which hasn't come out yet. And then he also worked with me on Dulce with Eric, which is kind of funny. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of us in that circle that kind of work together as it happens in comics an awful lot. And I loved Greg's work. Not only is he probably one of the fastest pencilers out there at all, but he loves hellscapes and Lovecraftian stuff and anything dark. And he really goes to that very well. And so for me, who isn't as strong with that, and Sean, 
who loves that stuff and wants to play with that world as much as he can, I thought, why don't we bring Greg in? And Greg will just have such a ball that a lot of things I won't even have to explain. He'll just add his own touches and take stuff from his own imagination. And that's what he's done. Like a lot of those background characters and buildings and forms and stuff, that's all him. Just just playing. And I think that that's the best thing you can do is to an artist is just give him a playground and go, dude, go have fun. What are you excited about for Bilal? What I'm most excited about is that we hit, as a whole group, we hit this so much harder. Um, it's This book was actually, in my head, planned out the worst. I knew that we were going to fight these two. And actually, at the time, I had a really cool twist that I thought would be a lot of fun. And then upon writing it out, just wasn't working. And Sean and I quote unquote, fought over this one for a while. Mostly it was me and it was my issue. And that was just that it just wasn't right. It just wasn't feeling good. And um, the reason why Sean, I offered Sean that editing credit is because he really came in and got the best out of me and really helped me to better envision that and said, hey, what about this? And then we went through step-by-step step and we made a very, very strong outline for it. And it meant that at that point, I could just write the chunks of it as it came out and just, you know, here's the first five pages. Here's this, And it just came out in this way that I've never been able to do before. And when each time they would get the five pages, they'd be like, oh, yes, that feels really good. And here's the tweaks. And so it was just such a well-oiled machine. I feel so strongly about this one. You're really going to have to come at me hard if you, if you don't like this. And again, this isn't an egotistical thing because it's not me saying, I wrote the best thing ever. No, myself in conjunction with two amazing editors who worked really hard, created something that all three of us are super proud of. And we're so happy and proud of it that it's going to be it's going to be difficult for you to, to prove to us otherwise. And of course, the art team, they love what they do. And when you bring them something of that caliber and something that can inspire them and excite them, everybody has a blast with it. And uh, Greg Warnchek, he loves being silly and having fun, and he brought it. So, yeah, I'm just I'm just excited for the real reveal. Um, there's also a lot of like, as much as it's a comedy, there's an undertone of a serious story to it, and so I love being able to layer those two things on top of each other, and you see them coming out and that drama coming out at points, and so it really it feels like a, a serious step forward as a storyteller. And so I'm just I'm just proud of the whole damn thing. Tell us about some of those variant covers on below. So um, we were really lucky. People people seem to have gravitated to the book and they enjoy it and they like the little the, the message that we're we're telling and and they love the fun that we're bringing to to comics. So um, we were able to get some really amazing talent and I'm kind of blown away. Even you guys will watch, depending on how late you come into the campaign, you'll see that we have new, um, covers to show off and everything. And normally I'm not a variant cover guy as me as a fan personally, I just want to hold the book and rumple the book. And I'm not a slab guy necessarily. You know, I just, I don't care about the condition. I just care about the story and everything that's inside and the beautiful art and all that. And so I realized that there is, and, and Sean and I, of course, because it's his book as well, Sean and I both realized that those covers and that kind of stuff, that is a segment of the population that we need to make sure is happy. And so we talked to uh, several people um, 
one of the first guys, the first guy, and the biggest guy we talked to was Thomas Tenney, who he has done work for Marvel. He did their their Force Works and stuff back in the uh, 1990s, and and even now he's doing that. He's worked with DC, Image, um, as as a metalhead and someone who loves hard rock and stuff. Knowing that he's also worked, um, he did a bunch of the ACDC album covers. He's actually doing their album cover now for this new album that they're working on. I mean, having him do a cover for us and this amazing um, Meatloaf Bat Out of Hell uh, cover that he's doing for us is just phenomenal. I'm so excited about that. And so to have him there, that's that's a massive, it's not even just a level up, but it's like, wow, this dude who we, he helped shape our youth and whatnot. And he has worked on stuff that mattered so much to us is working with us and being able to turn to my dad who got me into ACDC as a kid and just be like, see that album. Yeah. That's my cover artist too. Like that's just such an amazing feeling. And the, and the amount of pride that I get out of that is just ridiculous. And then while we were doing that, I had an idea for another cover and Steph Wilson came to me and he had bought an issue, the, the issue of Blau one. And he said, I don't normally read comics, but I heard really good things about it. And he checked it out and he said, I don't, I don't read a lot of comics, but I read this twice. And I was like, Oh, damn, that's a massive compliment. And he's done, I mean, I think he's only been in comics for a year or two, and he's done like 70 or more covers. Him and his wife work their butts off, and they do amazing work. And so after working on that, he sent me a sketch that he did of Belial. And it was the cutest, funniest, sexiest thing. And I was like, ah, crap. And I sent it to Sean, and I said, crap, look at this. And he goes, damn it. What are we going to do with that? And I was like, I think we got to make another cover. And he's like, can we afford it? And I'm like, we'll make it work, dude. Yeah, but I think we got to do this. It's too good not to use. And so we told him, we were like, all right, Steph, you got to finish that, buddy, because that's that's just too amazing. And then um, the final the final one of the, the variants that I know will be out is um, Chris Mad. And oh my goodness, what he did is absolutely amazing. That that cover is just gorgeous. And I had that was very much an idea that I had in my head. Um, it's the, the sexy covers, but I kind of wanted to give you give a little like F you to the sexy covers. Because sexy covers, we know it. Bill, you're a comic creator. Sexy covers sell way too well. And it can be so frustrating because you're like, I made this amazing cover or this amazing comic, but that sexy cover is going to outsell me like 10 to 1 because it's beautiful, it's well done, all that stuff, and sex sells. So I was like, how can I make sex sell and still kind of give them a finger? And so it's these two amazing, beautiful demoness chicks on the front, and it's all on an iPad. And so the image is on an iPad, and our little, uh, our little imp, Link, who is just, he's a badass and just such a little jerk. He actually is Photoshopping his head onto one of the, the beautiful demoness's bodies. And so that was kind of our take, like, hey, it's sexy, but it's not because there's a dude head, dude's head on her body. So that was sort of our take on that. And that was kind of us sort of being true to the, the actual comic, to the actual book, and just having some tongue-in-cheek fun. So I think all of that was a real level up for us and just something that we had a blast doing and being a part of. So I want to take you back now to the start of when Sean had approached you, says, hey, I have this idea, I have this concept. You kind of send him over your pitch for it. You decide to do it. Uh, Tell us about your process, how you write a page or a scene or a full issue of Bilal from that pitch. So... For me, 
as both a writer and an editor, I like to have a really strong outline. I'm very big on outlines. So which is why when I sent him the treatment, it it was very um, it was very much the pillars of what this story will look like, the main events and all that. And then so when I decided to write the first issue, I set up the pillars of the story, uh, what I think the major arcs and the major movements are. And then I just start going. And I like doing it like that because I feel like you kind of, you deal with, you already know sort of where the scenes are going to go, what scenes are going to go where. You already sort of have it out in your head. And so you've already sort of taken care of any of the big mistakes that can show up as you go. And it also gives me time to play or space to play in between those moments. What are little things, little side stories, all that kind of stuff that I can play with and enjoy and just flesh out. So that's how I do it. And I find that once I actually start on the script and start going, usually what ends up happening is it comes out very fairly fluidly. And then the edits are mostly dialogue tweaks and maybe some little pacing changes and that kind of stuff, but never anything that has to be really heavy handed because we already got all of that out right away. Without that outline, what sort of big mistakes that you talked about can happen? Oh, my goodness. I mean, <laughs> as someone who has edited an awful lot of scripts, there's things like there's entire scenes that you can find are just completely useless. Like, why is this even in here? What are you trying to show us? What What are you trying to tell us? How does this even add to the story? You can have characters introduced in ways that don't make sense, or you can have, you know, moments that just fall flat. I mean, there's an awful lot that can kind of go wrong and go awry. That's why I'd rather get my mistakes out before I actually start really working on it and to follow up on that because you are both the writer and the editor do you edit your own work or do you hire an outside editor to help i never edit my own work um first off i feel like it would be hypocritical i mean i'm someone who's always telling people you need an editor and then to not use one not not really a, a cool move so i do i use my wife uh, for a lot of my work, I, I have worked with other people. I use my wife because she knows how to get the best out of me. Um, and as someone who has seen my writing change over time and whatnot, she knows that where my strengths are. So she doesn't try to play with my story tweaks or anything like that because she knows that that's my forte. But she tends to come in and kind of help me um, sort of flesh out dialogue and make sure that makes sense. And she, as far as proofing and all that stuff. She's a whiz. So she tends to be very strong in that department. So I use her in that. And of course, having a partner like Sean, who will always tell you that he's not a writer, but he does no good story and he loves good story. So having him there, he's able to kind of follow along and go, okay, cool. I like what you did there, but what about this? And either it works or it doesn't, but he's always good for some help. So uh, even in this in this last issue, he was such a huge help that I said, man, you deserve an editing credit. Let's give that to you. He's like, oh, you don't have to do that. And I'm like, no, no, no you earned it. Let's give it to you. I love having editors on because it seems like editors are a little bit harder to get on this show than writers, creators, and even artists, because there are fewer of them. But also, it seems like a lot of independent comics don't have the budget for an editor. As an editor, 
What do you bring to the table? Um, first off, I would say, I would say it, it's sad that they don't have the budget for an editor because we're not expensive at all. And I mean, certainly that's something, especially when you're making like a Kickstarter budget, it's literally adding like an extra few hundred dollars. You know what I mean? And and I would even say if it's a proofer, it's less than a hundred dollars for, for a regular book. So I don't know why that is. I, I find it kind of silly. And I, I think it's just a fact that a lot of them are either, it's either an ego issue, which we certainly see a lot, uh, but also I think it's just simply being uninformed. I guess for me, I, all um, editors, because there's so many different types of editing in stories, um, there's an awful lot of different things that they can bring to it. So for me personally, I like to be a jack of all trades. I like to learn as much as I have uh, or as much as I can. I've taken courses on things like lettering and, and art design and all that kind of stuff. I can't draw and I don't want to letter, but if I can at least help you and look and see, hey man, maybe if we played with this a little bit or that lettering is off, man. Because also, like, let's be honest, a lot of indie comics, they letter them themselves. So if you can at least be there and, and help them and kind of give them some guidance and go, hey, maybe we should make that tail actually point at their mouth so it doesn't look like their elbows talking or something, that would be a good idea. But for me personally, the things I dig and I love most about a story, I love the technical aspects of creating a story, how plot points uh, work together and characters work together. I love the emotional aspects. I love all of that stuff. So I tend to really dig into there. The one thing that I tend to, I found very early, the one thing that I tended to help a lot of people with was their endings. Um, I don't know what it is, but, you know, a lot of endings, uh, they kind of fell a little flat or I felt like there was just one extra thing that we could add to really kind of poof that up. And so that's something that I really get excited about and and move on with. So, yeah, man, I mean, it's all of it. I would say the other thing with editors and maybe they'll come and, and yell at me and, and that's fine. Go on ahead. They don't push their work. Um, you don't see a lot of editors out there going, hey, what's up, man? You know, I worked on this project. I worked on that project. They kind of, they're quiet. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm a bit of a loudmouth. And I love to uh, have fun and, and market and push and talk and be passionate about everything that I'm a part of. And so I guess I'm kind of an odd duck in the editing field because when you get me on a, on a project, I push that project too. I tend to to show it off on my page. And I say, man, I worked on that. Very proud of that story. I love what they did with this. And I'll even talk intelligently about it. And especially in the indie field, that's huge. I can literally ask for more money. And, and it, this isn't about the money, but of course I can because I'm also quasi helping with the marketing, you know? And so that means an awful lot to a lot of these guys because they're like, oh, dude, man, not only do I get a guy who's going to come in, and he's going to help me with the story, but he's also going to show it off to all of his fans. And as we know, a lot of times we get artists and stuff and they, they do the work and they move on or whomever, a lot of our freelancers do that. I, I, I've, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm passionate about what I do. And so I try to push it all the way to the end if I can. If I am a newer creator and I want to hire an editor, what are some tips that you could give me just to approach you? Or once I've hired you on when I'm receiving feedback, what tips can you give for me? Okay. First off for, for tips, I'm going to go with the tips for just as far as a like contacting editor. 
just contact them. Make it very known what you need or what you're looking for or where you think you're going to need the most help. And if you don't know, um, maybe just say, hey, do you mind taking a look at my script and maybe telling me? Now, if you don't know where your problems are, then maybe just be open to the fact that you're probably pretty new and they're going to have to do a fair amount of work. And be open to them to that so that they can kind of price it accordingly and make sure that they have enough time. Because you know what? If you want to create a good relationship with someone, you need them to understand that, hey, you might need to spend a little bit more time with me so that when it's not all done, they're not like, I do not want to work with that person ever again because it is way too much. It takes way too much of my time and it's not worth it. So please just, you know, be honest about that and open to that. Um, as far as tips, when you're ha- hiring an editor, um, and you were talking about it earlier, how a lot of people don't hire editors. I think it's because they're like, I won't let anyone tell me how to make my book. I can't tell you anything. You're paying me. You don't even have to listen to me. <laughs> I mean, literally everything I say is a suggestion. I suggest you do this. I suggest you do that. You certainly could go through and you could knock down every single suggestion that I make and say, no, 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 all the way through. And then basically how that would probably go is I would go, okay, well, I don't think we work very well together. Um, I will take my paycheck because I did do the work, but please do not credit me for what happens there because I didn't do anything. I don't deserve it. And I don't really want it because what you're making is not what I helped with. But um, again, it's suggestions. So just take the suggestions. And you know what? If you don't agree, argue a little bit. That's that's what we're doing. You know what I mean? Like, tell me why you disagree with me. But don't just say, no, you're wrong. Tell me why you think I'm wrong. Explain it to me. It's okay. We can hash this out. You can always say something like, well, I think you're wrong because I want to do this later. Oh, cool. Well, I didn't have that information. So now we can look at that together. And maybe I can even help make that better while still using your thoughts and your ideas. So just be open to the process, open to the idea that it's suggestions. And I think it'll go fairly well for you. And Chuck, at uh, the time of recording this, you are 60% funded. You got uh, just about 2400 out of your $3,900 goal. I'm sure by the time that this episode releases, you will be fully funded or very close to it. What does the future hold for you and Bilal? Oh, man, I think I think the future is good. I think that what we've done here, because um, both both um, Sean and I are, are smart dudes and we are also poor dudes. And in an aspect, that's good because it means that we're used to knowing that the future could be rough. How are we going to plan for that? So um, this goal was 3900 and it's more money than we even made in the last campaign, which has meant that we've had to work very hard and, and we have worked very hard to make this a very successful campaign. So I'm glad that it's going as well as it is. But we made that goal because we wanted to have the pencils paid for the next one. So as soon as we finish this one, boom, we're right into the next one. And for me, I'm thinking I have a lot of my own stuff I want to do. And there's a lot of clients and other things that I'd like to to move on to and take care of. So if we can make this as seamlessly as possible and bring out all four issues and really get it done and compiled and looking amazing as quickly as possible, I think we can bring something that people will really be excited about. So yeah. What have been the biggest obstacles or challenges that you faced and how have you overcome them? Wow. Um, I mean, the, the first big one was who the hell is Chuck Pino and why the hell should we care about him? So, of course, that was and I did mention that earlier. That was about editing. And um, that was very much where I kind of found my name and I found my 
quote unquote fame, whatever the heck that is. And that's kind of how I got myself out there. Uh, also being on, uh, on a lot of podcasts and a lot of shows on a lot of panels. I love doing that. I love, um, and, and it's not just like an ego thing so much. I just, I love conversing in these moments of sharing ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And even when I'm on a show learning about the hosts and, and all the other panelists and stuff and learning from them. So it's just such a great experience for me and I really enjoy it a lot. So, um, that kind of thing, finances, were a huge aspect. And so being able to find ways around it, whether it's, um, like, I mean, even for this, we have several variant covers. And so Sean was like, how are we going to afford these? And I said, don't worry. I, I, I traded some editing for it. Well, are you sure you're cool with that? And I'm like, have you seen their work? Well, yeah, it looks great. Well, then it was worth it. Don't worry about it, dude, man. Like we're, we're both going to, you're, you're going to do things that, that I can't do. And I mean, let's be honest, the time that he puts into inking and the time that I put into writing, it's not the same. Inking takes way longer. So for me to throw in a little bit of extra something, I, I don't have a problem with that. So it, it doesn't work. I, I want both of us to feel like we've earned our 50-50. And I feel like he certainly does his part. And so anything else I can do and throw in there to help, it's huge and it's a big deal. I think the other aspect is that um, I want to be taken seriously in the industry as a whole and I want to be out there. So the other thing was networking, connecting with some of the, the bigger studios and getting my name in with those and doing some things, which I've just started to. This year's actually been really good. By editing, I've been able to get my name into uh, Marcosia Comics and Scout Comics, which was really big. I just recently got my first writer's credit in Antarctic Press. So things like that, being able to get my name out there, creating those badges, as I call them all the time, uh, that, that's another thing, just those for, that forward momentum through your career. What do you feel has been your biggest mistake? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean... There's, there's a lot, right? Uh, definitely, I would say taking on too much. Taking on too much is huge. And I still do that to this day. I'm just, I think for me, so excited and impassioned to be in the industry. And so every once in a while, you got to stop and you have to go, dude, what are, you, what are you doing, man? You need to breathe. Oh, yeah. And you have a family and people that you love and would love it if you were around more and present when you were there. So uh, I, I would say my biggest thing is often taking on too much and maybe doing more than I, I, I should. Um, and the other thing is I love helping people. And sometimes I have to realize some people can't be easily helped. And it takes more out of you than you should be willing to give. And so, um, it, you know, you have to understand that you, you can't do everything. You can't help everyone. And so just kind of understanding where your limits are and really handling yourselves, yourself as properly and responsibly as you possibly can. We've already talked a little bit about a lot of these milestones or merit badges, as you call them, uh, along your career. But what so far has been your best moment? Um, I would say the two best moments for me were the first time I saw my name as writer creator when I held the physical copy of Welcome to the Void. Um, I actually did a live unboxing video and I teared up and it was just it was huge. It was instantly my head went back to being a kid. And I was able to look at that, you know, 12 year old kid and go, dude, you, you freaking did it, man. Like it took you way longer than it should have. But man, this was so much more important, even than I ever thought myself that it was, you know, of course it was a dream, but you know, does it really matter? Is it really big deal? And then you hold that book and you go, oh, hell yeah, it was, it was 
way bigger than I ever imagined. And so just staring at that was just magnificent. And it was an amazing feeling. And the other was sitting behind a booth for the first time at Alamo City Comic Con and realizing, uh, dude, these are fans. These are people who are buying your stuff. And there's now a responsibility to give them a good product and to give them something that you can be proud of and that they can feel like was worth their time and money. And there was both a responsibility and a feeling of awe, like, wow, I'm doing this and now I need to keep doing it and doing it right because, damn it, I'm addicted. Starting out, what was the best advice that you received? It's not specifically about comics, but the best advice I've been given in my life is from my mom. And she said, you can't care too much. The things that truly matter to you need to matter and you need to prove that they matter. And so when working on my stuff, when working on other people's stuff, when making this dream matter, um, I'm actually tearing up a little bit as I say this, you need to put as much of your heart and your soul into it so that, because at the end of the day, people are always going to nitpick and they're going to find things wrong. And that's okay because there's no such thing as something that everyone will like. But if you can look at it and you can say, I, I did it. I put everything I had into it, blood, sweat, and tears, and I'm happy, then that nitpicking, all that crap doesn't matter because you gave everything you could. And if they don't like it, then that's not for them. And that's totally fine. That always reminds me of the old saying, uh, you can be the sweetest peach on the tree, but there's just some people that won't like peaches. I've never heard that. I re- I am definitely going to hold on to that, Bill. I like that an awful lot. Everyone, thank you for listening to the Under the Mask podcast. Bilal is live on Kickstarter now through November 13th. You can check it out at kickstarter.com. Go ahead and type Bilal in the search. That's a B-E-L-I-A-L. Chuck, where else can we find you online? Well, you can certainly find me on Facebook, Chuck P-I-N-E-A-U. You can find me on Twitter at Chucky Pin. You can find Chuck Pino on Instagram. I also, because I'm as passionate and excited about what I do, I have, and, and about what we do, this whole world of indie comics, I do indie comic reviews. And so you can go to YouTube and you can check out Chuck's Raw Reviews. I will tell you, because I'm passionate and because I call them raw, I curse an awful lot. So if that's not for you, it's okay. The show is not for you, but it's all about comics that I love and I've enjoyed and books that I think you guys will enjoy. And so I would love it for you guys to check that out. And of course, you can also look for my publishing wing, Bonfire Press, and you can find Essence House at EssenceHouseStory.com or on any of the major podcast stations. We'll be sure to put all those links in the show notes and description below. Chuck, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me again. Oh, thank you for having me. I really had a great time. I love this deep dive and and I love what you do. So thanks so much, Bill. I appreciate it.